When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. I am now about to speak with Massachusetts Plymouth Patuxets Deputy Executive Director and Chief Historian Richard Pickering. His title is longer than the interview we're going to do, but he is a historian and he was almost there when the first People came for the first Thanksgiving. So I am now about to speak to a great historian. His name is Richard Pickering, and he knows all the answers to the early days of Thanksgiving. He was probably there at the time. So listen, tell me, listen, honey, where and what was the first Thanksgiving? The first Thanksgiving is traditionally identified as happening in Plymouth, Massachusetts in the fall of 1621. And there were 52 English men, women, and children who had survived the first winter after Mayflower landed, and at least 90 Native men with the sachem Massasoit. And there might even have been more Native people there. We have one written description of the event, and it says... 90 men amongst others. So imagine what the human landscape was like. Probably happened in late September, early October, just after the harvest was in. And it was three days of feasting, of playing sports, and of military demonstrations. Okay, so what did they cook? And they didn't have microwaves. What did they cook on? <laughs> well, think think about who was doing the cooking also, because in the horrific deaths of the first winter, only four adult married women survived. There may have been another nameless um, adult woman. And so they are preparing probably with the help of teenagers and servants, a feast for three days. Men were sent out fishing, men were sent out hunting, and we know that there were such resources that in just a few hours, they were able to take enough wildfowl to feed that entire company for one week. So we know there there are duck, there are geese, there are turkey, but the difference between our Thanksgiving and theirs is that the turkey wasn't the central bird at the table. It was just one among many. Anyway, it's lousy. The turkey turkey is lousy. So <laughs> how did you learn all this, sitting in your nice little wonderful class? How did you learn all this? Well, actually, I have been working at Plymouth Patuxent Museums for almost 40 years, fresh out of college. And I was one of the historical role players. Back in 1984, I started playing one of the bachelors who lived in early Plymouth. And now that I just turned 62, I'm playing the ruling elder of the church. So I'm playing my own father-in-law from all those decades ago. And part of it is we're a museum that does 
experimental archaeology, which means we try to recreate the way people lived in the past. And when you do that, you raise new questions about their lives that exist in ways other than just on paper. Okay, so so did they do prayers? I mean, if this is Thanksgiving, and we're all so great about it now, did they do psalms or hymns or prayers? They did, because the... Mm -hmm. These were a people that rose in the morning with prayer, went to bed with prayer, started and and ended every meal with a grace of some kind. And we even know that when families were arguing, they did it with prayer. They would sit on either side of a table and complain to God. So they weren't making accusations, but you were hearing exactly what the other person thought about you. But how many prayers did they... They had to have a lot of prayers if they only had four women. What are you talking about? Six, <laughs> six women, how many, four? How many women were there? Um, there were just the four married women that survived into the fall of 1621. Uh, but they were able to be helped by uh, the teenage girls and by some of the servants that were with them. Listen, did they, did they pack a set of dishes on the ship. They were schlepping into a new world across months on the ocean. And all of a sudden they were able to dinner and had knives and forks. How is that possible? Well, these were people that had been married for many years. Many of them were established households in England and in Holland. So they packed up everything that they had. So there's furniture, there are bed linens, table linens, napkins, cups and dishes. But your question is really interesting because there were no forks. Uh, People are eating with knives and spoons, so they're stabbing food in the way that we would lift food to our mouths with forks. Forks in the 1620s are only being used in Europe. They're not an English thing. So you're eating with a spoon, with a knife, and with your hands. And it's the reason napkins were so huge, because people are continually uh, drying their fingers after they lift something. (laughs) Okay. 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 So tell me exactly what did they eat? We hear about uh, uh, the food, but what did they eat? If you're the historian, tell me at the first Thanksgiving. Well, oftentimes people will ask me about pumpkin pie. And in the 17th century, pumpkin was there, but not in pie because the wheat did not grow well in Plymouth. And so Early on, pumpkin, which is one of the great pillars of the Thanksgiving dinner, what they were doing is cubing it, cooking it very slowly. And as it cooked down, they'd add more, they'd add more, and then add butter and seasoning to it. So it was almost more like a pudding. Um, Pumpkin was there, wildfowl was there. And in the course of the three days, uh, Sachem Usamequin sent his men out hunting, and they came back with five bucks of venison. So there was deer meat there as well. So they had, how do you make, how did they make fires? Rub rub sticks together? Seriously? Uh, Yep, they brought flints and ferruses. So you would take a flint stone that produces a spark, and you beat it against a little metal handle. And that's catching on either wood shavings 
or women were making uh, char by putting old broken linen into a frying pan, putting another frying pan over it, and they're charring that linen, and they can then use that to catch flame. Where the hell did you learn all this? Where? Where was all this written? I've, I've studied it. I never heard all this. Where did you find this? There is a book called The English Housewife that was written by a man named Gervais Markham. And it was his account uh, from the 16th century of all of his wives and his mother's practices. So we have these details as to how women were running households. When did America first call for a national Thanksgiving? It it begins with President Washington, and the earliest presidents, except for Jefferson, declare national days of Thanksgiving, and then it falls out of fashion, and there is an amazing woman by the name of Sarah Josepha Hale. She was the most powerful editor in the early 1800s. She was a New Englander, the daughter of a minister, and she starts this process of petitioning presidents to take up the practice of a national holiday because she felt, as the country was falling apart, if the nation could sit down at the dinner table, maybe civil war could be averted. And the only president who listened to her after 25 years of petition was Abraham Lincoln, who declares Thanksgiving in 1863. Well, which president refused to recognize Thanksgiving? Jefferson did not early on um, because he was for a total separation of church and state. He was the first not to do it. Well, I don't understand who these people were. Give us the history of exactly who this group of people were who had the first feast. Uh, Those that came over aboard the Mayflower represented a broad spectrum of the English Protestant experience. So Anglicans, Puritans, and Separatists. The Separatists were the leaders of the project. They wanted to get out of Holland into a place under English rule, but far enough away from the crown they could worship as they wanted because they were very critical of the English church. So you have a mixture of people of different religious positions. But, you know, Miss Adams, I think the suffering of the first winter bound them together in a way we can't imagine today that within three months they had lost half their number Sometimes two and three a day were dying, and we know at the worst there were only five well enough to dress, undress, feed, and bury the dead. And I think those differences were overcome in the kindness that they showed one another. And when that first harvest proved to be really fine and they knew that they would get through the winter, They just wanted to reward themselves for being able to establish a community. What amazes me, their first governor dies after a few months, and within a few days, they have a safe transfer of power to another man. Well, it should happen to us. Yeah, okay. It's just amazing that they were very mindful of how you build a community, and they had a minister who before they left 
England, he had sent a letter to be read aloud because he did not go with them. He was going to bring over the weaker members of the church. And he said, you know, the person who most likely takes offense is the one most likely to give offense. And you are going to discover one another's weaknesses as you build this community and be forbearing one of another. And when you choose your leaders, don't look at the gay coat, don't look at the wealth, look at the virtue of the person whether they are rich or whether they are poor, look at the talent and call them to office. Where did they Where did they live? There, there were no houses. Where, if they came off the ship, what did they do? Where did they live? Mayflower had to stay a mile and a half out at sea because it took 13 feet of water so that it wouldn't be grounded. So the men are coming in each day on a small boat and they are building houses. And we know exactly when they start building. They start on Christmas Day, 1620, because for Puritans and Separatists, the classic Christian calendar was abandoned. They felt it was not biblically based and that there was no place in the Bible where it said December 25th was Christ's birthday. So for them, it was just another workday. And we know December 25th, they started building their houses, and they built one street. They were able to do seven houses. And because the death rate was so high, they made artificial families where all of those that were left alone in the world were brought in, and they lived with those four or five surviving married couples who took in everyone as boarders. Did our natives, our Native Americans, did they join the Thanksgiving feast? They did. And what's amazing, I, I, I love aging and I love having more information. And in the last 10 years, our museum has been working with the University of Massachusetts at Boston on archaeology. And what we have learned is that Native people were living just 10 or 12 feet away from the pilgrims on the other side of the brook. And the exciting thing about that means for 150, 200 years, we've imagined this as pretty much an all-male event. But now it seems that there are Native women and there are Native children who are just coming across the river. So that the first Thanksgiving, from the perspective of the Wampanoag people, the Native people of the region, for them, it was being with people they had made a peace treaty with the few months before, because they're pre-literate. They do not get a, a written language until the 1660s. For them, you maintain a treaty by being with that person you have the agreement with. So for them, the first Thanksgiving is not only a feast and a celebration, it's another way to be with those people that they've aligned themselves with in the spring. Why is it just turkeys? I mean, I'm sure nobody had lamb chops or something <laughs> like that running around in the woods, but there weren't always turkeys. Why is it always turkeys, which is for me, a lousy kind of food. Why is why is it all? Why is it turkeys? The the turkey is the central place in the current feast because New Englanders, who really are where the line of the holiday starts, it's New Englanders that create it in the way we experience it today, and they teach it to the rest of the nation as 
through westward expansion. New Englanders love turkeys. They could be easily hunted, and they could also be raised in the farmyard. So that's why by the 1800s, the turkey has the primary place at the table. Richard, you were delicious, almost as good as the turkey, which I'm going to ignore and look for a sandwich instead. But thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on and giving us the history of the first Thanksgiving. Thank Thank you, honey. Thank you so much. Happy Thanksgiving. You too, sweetie. Bye. Bye. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to prioritygold.com.